should. I mean, I don't know what Man- Mandy knows better than me, but I mean, I have. I'm, I'm good until at least four four fifteen. You know? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Right on. Um, well, welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Minoff. And I'm Tony Cernai. And we're joined here by uh, James Connolly. A friend of ours. We studied art together. Jay Braun. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're, we're recording this one from the private dining room of Mayolino in the Gramercy Park Hotel. And our special guest. Chef Nick Anderer, who is the executive chef of Mayolino, the executive chef and co-owner of Marta. And Mylino. And Mylino. Oh, I didn't realize you were co-owner of Mylino, yeah. too. That happened a couple years ago, yeah. Are you the only one who's done that with Danny Meyer? Or? I think right now I'm the only chef to be a partner at two restaurants. Yeah. Wow. That's quite an honor. Yeah. Especially in a place like New York City, which has the, the, you know, the pedigree of some of the great restaurants, not only in, in, in the U.S., but in the world. Well, so, D- Danny's an easy guy to work with, you know, yeah. and it's uh, it is an honor, you know, to, to call him a business partner. Uh, and it just seemed like it kind of happened overnight. I have no idea how it <laughs> landed with this second baby, Marta. But yeah, it just seems like yesterday I was line cooking at Gramercy Tavern. Is he, well, it, is he as pleasant as you know you read? <clears throat> he really is. You know, he's one of those guys like you know, there's no, there's there's not that other side of him. Like you meet people that you know are you know luminaries in whatever business it is and they're always you know great the first time you meet them they make a great first impression but then you get to know them more it's like you only find out better things about yeah. the guy. I, wish, I wish i could figure, like dig <laughs> up some dirt and tell you can't find it backstab um, me so i we're all uh painters and we're all also obsessed with cooking and with food and uh I always find a ton of parallels, and I, you were initially an art history major. You were sort of very interested in, in the arts. And, yeah, I mean, that's what brought me to food. Right, and so then you took a trip to Rome, uh, what, junior year abroad at Columbia. Yeah, I was studying art history at Columbia my junior year. I decided I wanted to, I was doing a lot of, um, uh, I was really into Roman, Baroque, uh, Renaissance, art, architecture, sculpture. So like Bernini, Borromini, all that. Right. And uh, so I had to go to Rome. Um, got involved with the program through Trinity College that Columbia happened to accept credits from. Uh, and the program was amazing. I had no idea what I was in for, but when I got there, what they did was they took you on three-hour uh, walking tours daily. No matter what class you were involved with, they found a way to incorporate it into the city by, by touring you um, through a certain area or a certain museum or a palazzo. So we got this unique opportunity to walk with you know professors through this awesome city in a different part of it every day. So in a certain sense, like some of the students, the American students that were on this program after a full semester got to know the city better than a lot of the locals did because they explored in depth, you know, the history of a, of a street. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find that in New York. I mean, I've never been in the Statue of Liberty. I grew yeah, up here. <laughs> exactly. You know, I bet you there's people, yeah, that take classes at Columbia you know, that, that understand the city better than I do in, in one semester. I, I remember my first time in Rome when, I, when you would just walk around and you would kind of duck into an alleyway and then you would see like an old master painting, or mm-hmm. an old master sculpture. I think w- one time I was li- walking down an alleyway and I didn't know where I was going. I made a right, left, right, left, and I ended up, you know, running into a Michelangelo sculpture. Oh, yeah, I did. There's like too, a little plaque, yeah. and you would never find it, huh. and it just I completely blew me away. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, that's a Michelangelo, and it's sitting there it has like the the proper plaque, and there's no one around. Yeah. You could just sit there and you know, for us, draw it or something like that. But Rome has everywhere you go. It's like there's history and. And really beauty. There's just like beautifully made things everywhere, made by human hands. It's 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 uh, 
really kind of inspiring. And I'm assuming that that same type of thing, when it started, when you started checking out the food mm -hmm. scene there, that that kind of infused well, I was, itself. Yeah, I mean, you're so spot on with. I always tell people to don't even bother going to the museums. There's no no point in going to the Vatican Museum unless you really have to see the Sistine Chapel because you can just walk around and discover stuff. But the the food scene there it's kind of ironic you have all these layers of history when you're walking around the city you see the ancient roman stuff you see you know uh, the baroque the renaissance and it's just like all layered on top of each other in this like sloppy kind of way but it's kind of beautiful at the same time in a very um, italian way <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> but beautiful, the food but nothing like works. hasn't hasn't changed for like centuries it seems it's like you know that's an exaggeration i mean carbonara wasn't around centuries ago but <laughs> but it it's so stuck in time like all the trattorias serve the exact same menu pretty much there's, you know, they think, you know, bucatini alla matriciana, spaghetti carbonara. Right. And, and so in a certain sense, you're like, how do you get inspired by a city that just has the same stuff rehashed over and over and over again? Um, is that for the tourists? Why? <clears throat> it's, I, I just or think it, it speaks to, like, regional pride more than anything. I think uh. people are very, and it's not just Rome. I think a lot of cities... In, uh, in Italy, they, they have their dishes that they're proud of and right. they want everybody to know about, not just the tourists, but they, you know, uh, just your everyday people. And I think the way that people eat in Rome is very different than the way we think about, you know, going out to restaurants and eating. So, like, you know, you describe, you know, a foodie or you talk right. about a foodie here in, the, in, in New York. It's somebody who's constantly going out and checking out different restaurants all the time. And, and uh, I think in, in Italy, it's just they, they don't think of... Uh, oh, I'm a foodie, or he's a foodie, she's a foodie. They're, they're constantly thinking about food. Everybody's a foodie. Um, everybody, it, It's yeah. just a way of life. It's yeah. like, foodie, what does that mean? <laughs> it's just what we do. Yeah, and, and they go, you know, when they, when they go out to eat, it's, it's not an adventure. It's not like, oh, I need to bust out my notebook and, and, or Instagram the, the, my, <laughs> my bowl of spaghetti before I eat it. Yeah. It's just, they this, must this be so horrified by that <laughs> when we come over. So, Check uh, this out. So during, it, during some of your studies, did you uh, uh, start to look at, like, the sort of, you, you studied the Colombian exchange, the, the influence of the South American uh, foods, tomatoes and uh -huh. potatoes and, and, you know, corn and polenta and all of that stuff. Did you think that, that a lot of that's, those things actually influenced uh, your thoughts on what pre-Columbian exchange uh, Roman food was actually like? I mean... I honestly didn't think about that much at all. In fact, <laughs> I haven't thought about it once until you brought it up right now. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, if you, I mean, I guess if you go back in history, I mean, the Roman food is probably pretty poor. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's probably seafood based. It's a lot of seafood, yeah. Uh, a lot of honey, um, yeah, uh, grains. Um, the, I the. The history that I like to study is is the the history of Italian food as it goes back to maybe like the 40s or 50s, you know, and like sort of like the post World War II really um, Rome because a lot of these restaurants were opening up around then and still are serving uh -huh. some of the same stuff they were doing then. And so to dig up like what what is Bucatini alla matriciana and you know a lot of people don't. It's a really geeky thing to discuss. Like I mean, but the, the, the you're, talking to, you're talking to geeks. I know I got the right yeah, yeah. I got the captive audience yeah, yeah, yeah. here, so we can, we can geek out. <laughs> um, Bucatini alla matriciana never had tomato sauce. It was it was a white sauce that was comprised basically of stuff that a a shepherd could pull together uh, from his farm. So he got the sheep's milk cheese, um, he uh, black pepper, um, and then um, you know, the uh, the uh, addition of guanciale, cured pig's jowl, 
that was always laying around. I mean, the, the, the offcuts are sort of the, the backbone of a lot of Roman cuisine, and, and guanciale is sort of their, their staple thing. And so you throw those three things together, and then you have uh, what is essentially Bucatini alla Matriciana. Um, at some point, tomatoes got introduced. Yeah. And at some point, it's debatable that onions got introduced. I like the onion thing. The story, I stick to that. I don't know if it's true, <laughs> because I just think it adds something to the sauce. Uh, Danny Meyer disagrees. He doesn't like it. Yeah. onion-free. Yeah. Onion-free alamatrichana. <laughs> um, but then it sort of morphed, and then they had to figure out a name for what that original thing was. That oh. used to be Bucatina Matrichana, so now they, they, uh, there's this thing called Gricha. Oh, Gricha yeah, sauce, yeah. G-R-I-C-I-A. Yeah, yeah. And nobody has a good story for what that is. A lot of people say, oh, well, it sounds like Grigia, gray, because the sauce looks kind of gray. It's basically like a carbonara without the egg. Uh-huh. Um, and some people say that there's a town called Grigia where there's plenty of sheep, and that's the reason it came about. <laughs> but I think it's just they, they needed to come up with a name for that sauce that used to be Bucatina Machetana that everybody loved, <laughs> and somebody fucked it up by adding tomatoes. <laughs> some, they had some wine, and they're like, ah, Grigia? That's ah, great. <laughs> what, now, you're talking about the, the simplicity, and... and uh, I always remember or, or seeing uh, uh, the difference between, let's say, French cooking and yeah. Italian cooking. It, it was always like Italian cooking is simpler, and it's about really trying to get it to be perfect. Like a harmonious balance. Yeah, yeah. Between I mean, like. I, it's, I think it's a dangerous conversation or game to play to start to say, <laughs> like, ahead. you know, Italian <laughs> is <laughs> simpler. Because, I mean, there's, there was so much shared... Like Info right. information between, the two, between yeah. the two and the Medici's and and you yeah. know going from Italy to France and then codifying like, like Zabayon is it was an Italian thing it was Zabayone and then they took the recipe over there and becomes a mother sauce and you know uh, and I think at the heart of it I love I love French food uh, yeah. and um, a lot of really good French food is just as simple and as complementary to ingredients as Italian food is I, that being said I think you know across the board if you had to take like the average mean of, of what chefs accomplish in, in the country of Italy versus what happens in France, yeah, there's probably a, a, a slightly more um, uh, concentrated movement towards being like an anti-chef to see how many things you can take away from the plate yeah, to yeah, let yeah. an ingredient shine as opposed to adding an extra technique or an extra ingredient. Um, and that's that's definitely the way I like to think. And I think, um, you know, as, as chefs mature, I think that's part of the maturing process. I know that this is a dangerous... To, like, do more with yeah. less. We were having yeah. a conversation I mean, we recently having, okay. on the podcast about, like, a limited palette with painting <coughs> where, where painters, you know, like uh, Ribera would mm-hmm. have, like, a competitions where I can use, like, only two colors, only three colors. Yeah. And, and, and see, so you can like make, that. like, the most you know, lifelike, you know, beautiful picture that you can. And I, and I, and I remember reading that about... And, and like you were saying, I don't know if it's true or not, but about um, Italian cooking is that sort of taking the less and trying to like perfect it. Mm-hmm. And I, we were always, we, I was bringing up that, um, that documentary, um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, oh, yeah, yeah. about that same idea of like just striving for perfection. Uh, so I always wonder about something like, what is, what is tradition then? Like what is traditional Italian cooking? Or Roman. Or Roman, yeah. that's, a better, that's a better question. I mean, for us, we take a lot of pride in, in researching and archiving and you know dusting off old books and and seeing the way they did it back in the day so to speak and but we don't ever claim to be a hundred percent traditional being traditional to me means absolutely nothing in in the kitchen i think that we want to pay respect to it so if we're going to call something carbonara we're going to make sure that we know better than anybody else what 
a real carbonara is right. and then do our best to, to stay true to it. If we're going to start adding and taking ingredients, just call it something else, you know? Right. And I could never claim at Maialino or at Marta, even though we archive and study all these recipes, that every single thing that we serve on this menu is truly Roman. So, like, you know, we're Roman-inspired. That's what I right. you know, When anybody asks yeah. what we do, it's like, and we have certain dishes that are straight-up Roman. So when we do carbonara, we don't mess with it. We just. We but just there's also, I mean, there's a <coughs> philosophy behind the Italian cooking, like using fresh local ingredients. And to honor that tradition, you have to be, you know, a New York restaurant cooking in that you know in that style so you're yeah. you're having to assume they use like ramps in Italy but you know when they're in season here there's nothing better absolutely I mean we serve spaghetti ramps and pecorino every every spring when they come around and uh, I've had it it's amazing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's telling me all about it he's like dude you gotta get ramps like, we were at uh, Italy and James like, grows them yeah. you, you grow them yeah so in Rome, was it like a slow slide, or was it was there like one turning point? Was there like a meal that you had? Was there it was or was just like the I, food culture just sort of captivated your? I already had that sort of cooking bug before I even went to Rome. I mean, I was always in the kitchen with my mom. She, I mean, I had the good fortune of being in a family where the mother would, my mom would cook every single night and have something different almost every single night. Right. And I always got in the kitchen with her, so I had that that bug. I always wanted to get my hands dirty in the kitchen. I did it when I was in college I, in our crappy dorm kitchens, <laughs> tried to whip stuff up. Microwaved. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so when I got to Rome, it was just the cumulative effect, I think, of being out on these three-hour walking tours. And uh, there was a, a professor that I had. Uh, her name was Franca Camis. I, I credit her more than anybody with, with getting that, that food thing going in my, in my brain more than, uh, than I guess it would have otherwise but she would always take us to lunch. We had to eat somewhere, and um, you could eat pretty well for cheap if you know your way around the city of Rome. And, and yeah. so I got really, that's when I started noticing. I was like, wow, all these menus are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started finding out the dishes that I liked. And so I said, would, you know, the, so the exercise when you're going to Rome, you're doing research, is not like, what new dishes can I find, but like, who's doing the best version of something? So it's right. like, I know where my favorite carbonara is. I know where my favorite abacchio al forno is, you know. No, so my favorite punterella salad. So it was more like actually tasting it as opposed to like, that place is always packed. I'm just going to go to that yeah. place all the time. Yeah, I mean, we, we I've compiled a list. I'll, I'll share it with you guys. But I've, I have yeah, a totally. list, actually. <laughs> and I've used it a lot. Rossioli was oh, amazing. That yeah, place, and that place is sensory overload yeah, it when is, you walk in. Yeah. And it's so fun, like the environment. I mean, because it's, it's like a deli up front. Wine bar, Sula Maria, And the wine is amazing. Yeah. It had like some of the best wine I've ever had, and it was not particularly expensive. Mm-hmm. So, at, was, so at that point in Rome, you're, you you started categorizing your favorite places. At what point were you like, I kind of want to start dedicating my time? As, as soon as as soon as I got back, I mean, even when I was in Rome, I was only supposed to be there for one semester, and um, I decided I didn't get enough out of the city. I wanted to learn more Italian language. I was living with American students, so I stayed for one more semester and moved into an apartment with some crazy Italian people I found in like a wanted to Rome ad. This might be my relatives. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> was it a priest? No. <laughs> I was living with a priest in training and then some old dude who all all he would talk about is soccer and war. <laughs> I couldn't get him to shut up. But I learned to speak Italian. And, and so when I stayed there my second semester, I, one of the main reasons I moved into that apartment, aside from the fact I wanted to learn Italian, was that they had a kitchen and I could cook in it all the time. I wasn't able to cook at all my whole first semester out there. And so then that's when I started going to the markets and actually buying ingredients and trying to replicate some of the stuff that was was seen out there. And you know, but this is, I mean, just to do the math, it's like this is at least... 10, maybe 15 years, yeah, 
yeah, 10 years before we opened Maialino. So oh, wow. I had no idea that this was going to be something that I was going to do, like actually cook Roman food in New York <laughs> City. I mean, my path was very circuitous to, yeah, to, to Danny Meyer and uh, was kind of all over the place. Um, but I, I knew at that point I was going to cook. Uh, I was going to give it a shot when I came back to the city. So when I, was, when I came back my senior year of college, um, I only had uh, a minimal amount of credits to fulfill. So I took a very light course load and I took a full-time job. Um, working at a place called the Water Club, I just happened to have a friend who, who oh, would yeah. go. To that was like the place I used to go for yeah. my birthday when I was when I was younger. Yeah. That was like the, the special birthday dinner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still there. It's like they're doing something right. Um, um, but I, so th- there was no formal like you didn't go to culinary school. No, I mean I, another reason why I wanted to get into cooking is I was so done with school. I did not <laughs> want to go back to school. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I but wanted. that's an interesting thing I think because you know painting, uh, at least the kind of painting we do, traditionally was taught through like an apprenticeship system, and I think that's very much what they've established or what what has become the norm in the restaurant industry is that even if you go to culinary school. What you really learn is once you get out and you come to yeah. work in a kitchen, you trail for a while. And Cooking schools probably hate me because I've gone on the record many times saying that they're a waste <laughs> of time. And when cooks come and they ask me what they should do, I'm always Just telling get on them. the line. <laughs> yeah, because if you want to be in restaurants, you're right. going to go and you're going to spend you know, college tuition type pay for two years So at some places. You're going to get out in debt and then you're going to get a job in a restaurant that's going to pay you $11 an hour. And the chef's going to tell you to forget everything you learned in school and do it my way. <laughs> right. So what if you just, I mean, that's really demoralizing. <laughs> so just, just, just get your start in a restaurant. But it seems like that system never went away. Mm-hmm. That it was always, as far as I know, there was always the apprenticeship that you were always in the kitchen. You were on the line learning yeah. from, you know, the sous chef and the sous chef was under the, mm-hmm. the head chef. Um, that's something that's always been appealing um, coming from where we came in the art world where we didn't, you know, for a long time there were, there wasn't any apprenticeship. It went away for a yeah. while. When we're I, telling people the same thing, like don't go to art school, just, yeah. just study, study. Go study you know, with a master with painter artists. or yeah. something and somebody who's uh, doing something you're interested in and then find your own way from there. Yeah, to some extent, I guess. I mean, but cooking schools are still around. They're wildly yeah, right. popular, and I don't understand it. I, I, <laughs> well, I, I'm assuming it, they're popular probably because of the whole foodie thing, like we were saying. They're probably the, because of that, and I think they're popular because they're drawing on, uh, I guess to put it bluntly, kids that probably don't have the wherewithal either financially or in their brains to get into a good school, and they're convinced that this is a good second option like a backup and i think and i think it's a horrible second option it's just like if i could get in those kids brains and say hey listen come work with us it's like i'll teach everything you need to know if you're willing to work hard say yes chef and (laughs) and be here (laughs) and you don't necessarily need um some sort of document to go work at a a restaurant if they if you're willing to work they'll put you to work as long you as don't you're need a degree to be like i wouldn't although when i was in the kitchen here there were a lot of people from the french culinary institute who wound up in the kitchen there were and they, and they have uh, internship programs um, or externship programs they call them i don't know why um, <laughs> yeah, i've always wondered about that one. and uh and yeah so we'll, we'll we'll take that labor if we can get right. it and as a matter of fact there's been quite a few people that have come from uh the cia culinary institute of america with that and that's like a i think it can be a four-year program if you want to do like the the, the, the bachelor's part of it that gets you into uh, like hotel management and stuff. But I think it's a two-year program, and halfway through it, they do their externship for roughly six months, which is a big part of their grade. And there's a couple students who I actually convinced after their externship to to call their parents 
tell them that Nick said you're wasting my <laughs> <Right>. money. <laughs> Drop out and come work for me and, and, and start making some money. And so you're start. on a CIA hit list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is the mentorship pro like the is that relationship like you you worked in a in several kitchens including Babo is it like mm -hmm. do you feel like that's a lasting relationship or Absolutely. is it so you're still you still feel like inspired by <clears throat> the chefs who first kind of set you on your way. Yeah, I think that the, the best kind of learning that, that uh, a, a young cook can have is by working side by side with cooks that are better than him, whether it's the sous chef or the chef. I mean, Mario Batali was rarely right. there. I mean, he was there quite a bit, actually, because towards the beginning, but he's rarely there in the sense that he's not like, you know, he's showing not, me how to make the tomato sauce. Right. Like, he's not like not chopping Chopping onions side by side <laughs> with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I took a job in that kitchen because I was just intimidated the first day I set foot in there, because I was like, oh my God, these guys are good. Like, they're fast, they're efficient, um, they're coming up with dishes on a weekly basis. Like, it was a very cook-driven restaurant. A lot of the oh, cooks really? that were working on the line there are, are they're mostly executive chefs throughout the city right now. And it was just a good group of just, just gunners. Now, and, are they coming up with dishes for the menu yeah. or just for each other? For the menu. So, so that's oh, wow. a collaborative process. So yeah, is it totally like that. you win, like that one was the best out of the lot? Yeah, and or, or a couple ideas will come together from a couple different dishes right. and to make one super dish, you know? So is there a competition there? Uh, it, it was competitive for sure. I wouldn't say that, the, like, the, the competitive aspect of cooking has less to do with the, the, the creation of a dish than it has to do with how you perform during service. Okay. Like, because people will talk shit with each other about, oh, yeah, you see how many plates of pasta I put up, and oh, your, yours was sloppy, you can't do this when, <laughs> while you have these three things going going on it's yeah. juggling it's like whoever the best juggler during services like <laughs> you talk crap with each other um and and that was what intimidated me is how good all these guys were at at turning out as many plates as they were a night and beautiful ones at that and the pasta station in particular there is, and, is and just consistent beast. i'm assuming yeah. too because consistency absolutely so yeah it was it was it was competitive in that respect i mean in terms of the creative process i mean to this day I, i've never worked in a kitchen where the chef just just poof, here's a dish, put it on the menu. And, and it, it, that's the way it is from the opening. So like when we opened at Marta, I, I had dishes and I had recipes to hand over to people. Um, and even that was a collaborative process because I work with my chef de cuisine, Joe Tarasco, and, and we, we were hand in hand or coming up with, uh, with, with stuff for the, to teach the team because you need to have some building blocks. But then once that is set in motion, uh, on a weekly basis, line cooks, sous chefs, everybody's coming up with ideas and you'd be an idiot if you're a chef that says, not, I'm not going to take some of this wisdom and, and talent and, and craft it into, into something awesome because it keeps your menu dynamic. And, and Right. Yeah. Well, that's part of what makes a great chef, right, is putting together a team. <coughs> yeah. I think I, I saw, I was watching a, I think it was a documentary. What's the, um, the, the restaurant in Copenhagen that gets the Noma. three? Yeah. And they were doing this um, where all the chefs get together and they all create, not for the menu, yeah. for each other. Exercise for your mind. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. has to be like, who can come up with like the most sort of out there thing that really works. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I was like, oh, that must go, go on the menu. And then they mentioned later on, they're like, nope, it's just for us. That's like family meal, but yeah. like this insane competition. But they all yeah. get around, they all try it, and they all, they all um, talk about it, and then they all kind of pick that one was the best. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Wasn't there some story about, like, because they, they go out foraging together, that, they, that somebody will bring in an herb and they'll all try it, and Throw up for the next three hours. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, that one doesn't work. No, don't use that one. I did. I, I did. They can't pick like one dude, just like the like the new extern yeah, that like cleans yeah. the toilets to like be the guinea pig. The guinea they had to get everybody sick. Get Larry to do it. Larry will do anything. 
So you were at Babo, mm -hmm. and then, and, and that's one of Batali's um, great yep. restaurants. Actually, a really great restaurant. Uh, how? What was after that? After Babo, I went back to Italy because I knew I wanted to go back and cook there. From the moment I started cooking in New York City, I was always like the goal: get back to, to Italy so, back that, so that I really could actually cook at a restaurant. And um, yeah, I, I got uh, hooked up with a guy who was opening a place in Milan. I really wanted to be in Rome. It was just too hard to, to find a paying job out there. I wasn't ready uh, to, to start, you know, roughing it and yeah. be like the, the free American yeah. slave in a <laughs> Roman kitchen. Get the Yankee. He'll do anything. <laughs> uh, so I went to, to find a uh, I found a job up in uh, Milan. Um, uh, the guy was opening a place that uh, wanted to do traditional Milanese food, so that was good enough for me. I wanted to, to learn traditional Italian food. Yeah. But it was kind of the opposite of where I really wanted because my passion was pasta mostly. I was, was what I really focused on at, at Babo. And um, in Milan, they're more about rice. And so I learned a ton about rice when I was there, more than I <laughs> probably wanted to. <laughs> and um, and they just they skewered me. I mean, they you know, made me make all of the hardest dishes over and over and over <laughs> and over again. There's this, there's this dish called Rizzo al Salto, where you p take uh, risotto that has been, it's supposed to be day old, but it works better if it's actually fresh risotto you cook that day. And you uh, take it once it's cooled down and you pat it down into a pan uh, with a little bit of olive oil and you basically make like a rice pancake, a crispy rice pancake. And uh -huh. they call it Rizzo al Salto. Salto is to, is to, to jump, you know, saltare. Yeah, is a uh, Italian word for saute, and you're supposed to flip the thing, and land it back so it doesn't break, break, and and crisp the other side, and they were so insistent, even though it's way more efficient to slide it out, flip it on a plate, and <laughs> pop it back in there, that you had to make this thing jump because otherwise you're not true to the name. <laughs> so, such a, such a stupid Italian like rule. And so they just stand there and just watch me break <laughs> pancake after pancake. How many pancake. how many pancakes do you think you broke? Uh, a couple hundred. <laughs> it's just rice. <laughs> so you were there for, uh, did you, I'm assuming uh, after being at, in New York City, doing that, going there, learning a bunch of stuff, that you're just, your toolbox is becoming filled of just knowledge and technique and all this stuff. Did you come back to, to New York or did, did you want to stay in Italy? For no, I, I came, I came back to New York. Um, I, I had enough of Italy. It was, a, <laughs> it's a very, very different kind of scene out there and you can learn a lot of great stuff. And, um, you know, if I had, you know, focused on a few more key restaurants, I just, I mean, it's a, uh, there's so much more I could have learned. I'm not saying that I, I stopped learning, but I wanted to get back into the pace of New York City business because I knew that that's where I wanted to be. I mean, I was always a very competitive person. I wanted to have a restaurant in the most competitive market, yeah. and I needed to feel that energy again. That, that you know, service in Italy. I mean, you're you're cooking from like 8 p.m. until 10 p.m. and it's like over. Like that's it. It's like 50 covers. Like, oh, that's a busy really? night. Really? <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> well, that's because um, they don't eat out as yeah, much, they don't, right? Because yeah, they're all foodies and yeah. everybody's. Well, and also they, they, there's not nobody makes a five o'clock reservation to go eat. Oh, there, right. right? Yeah. So it's like you know most restaurants don't even open until seven or seven thirty. Yeah, right. And and here you know most reservation books open at five five thirty. Uh, so it's just a marathon yeah, they go, of a they dinner. Go, they, that's right. They eat so late there. So you came back to New York, and then you did you get right back into sort of into a kitchen? Or? Yeah, my intention when I came back actually, as I look back on it, is um, I, I forgot about this that that I wanted to work at a French restaurant. Because um, I thought that was going to really round me out nicely, um, <laughs> and I, I trailed at Chanterelle, 
um, and I trailed at Gramercy Tavern, which is not French, but you know it was kind of French mm -hmm. system and very French influenced American food. And that's uh, a Danny Meyer restaurant, Gramercy yeah. Tavern, right? And at the time, Tom Kalicki was still the the, the chef owner, um, partner with Danny, and um, uh, I had all but accepted a job at Chanterelle. And then, uh, like, the, the next day when I was about to call Chanterelle and tell him I was going to take the job, um, uh, the chef from Gramercy Tavern called and said, there's a position here. And I, I loved the kitchen and the setup and uh, the style of service there. So I, I took that job, and um, I'm glad I did because I think the very next <laughs> year, within the same year, I think Chanterelle closed. Oh, wow. And then, uh, but, but Gramercy Tavern is obviously still killing it yeah um and it's at gramercy i i mean obviously i met danny meyer there but um uh i got the opportunity to work with uh mike anthony when he took over for tom colicchio I and mean, that was a, a very weird and difficult time to be working at, at gramercy when the transition happened of, of one chef leaving another chef coming in and a does lot the, of people were jumping ship does the whole menu change in that it case? does it does but mike was very smart about it i think you know he, he sort of phased out dishes one at a time and slowly phased in his right because there's two things happening. You don't want to shock the kitchen into yeah. trying to learn a f new full menu. Their reflexes just wouldn't be able to respond and make it excellently. Um, and then you also don't want to shock your regulars that come in your and have loved right. you know, the filet mignon with the balsamic onions. And, and all of a sudden it's grill. not there. And and so yeah, so you're phasing them out one right. by one. And with some of the really popular items that we had to do, which was really annoying, it's like, okay, so we're not gonna serve the filet anymore, which is the most popular dish in the tavern. Um, we're gonna. We started doing some other beef dish. You know, who knows what it was at the time, um, but then always have a few in your back pocket of the filet mignon, so that if a guest asks, the regulars you can still make come it. in, right? And then each day you order less and less and less of the filet because less and less people are asking about it because the new dish you put on is mm. getting gaining in popularity. But it takes time for that wave to sort of subside. And is it usually the the fact that you do that is just because <coughs> it's the vision of the the chef to say this is where I want the the kitchen this is where i want the restaurant yeah. to go with these dishes i mean it's 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 different uh, meaning this, this, this is become where, like personal yeah it's and this is where chefs i think differ from i think most artists is that you can't just be thinking about what you like or yeah. what looks good or what it's you have to take into consideration what because ultimately it's like a collaboration you're doing it to put a smile on someone's face right you're not doing it because you think it looks pretty or, or there's some sort of inspired concept behind the dish i mean that that's all well and fine and it creates awesome stuff right. from time to time but if a hundred people aren't going to want to eat that tonight and out of those hundred people that eat it 95 or 96 of them say i want to come back and do that again then what's the point yeah. like the only relevant question that any chef wants to know when somebody comes in the restaurant is will you will you come back again yeah that's right. the only thing they should really care about it's what's going to keep your business afloat and allow you to keep creating the things you're creating. Do, do you ever see? Do you ever find yourself cooking for other chefs in your head, like oh, these other, <laughs> you know? We're, we're we're inspired by what other chefs do. I mean, I went to eat at Spotted Pig the other night, and I forgot how good that chicken liver yeah. toast was, and I was like, holy <laughs> shit! It's like we got to do something with livers. <laughs> yeah. It's like we don't right. have any liver on our menu, and then like you know, so that's like a really chefy thing, I guess. That like it seems know. a lot of chefs go to Spotted Pig. You always hear about like at. Well, who's serving food at 2 a.m.? Yeah, like <laughs> after midnight, it's filled with chefs. <laughs> but it's also very good. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's really, really good. The pig's ear salad is ridiculous. Yeah. So that's what we ordered. We ordered the pig's ear salad, the chicken liver toast, some oysters, and deviled eggs. So is that pretty important to get out there and, you know, get out of your own kitchen and, and get I, out and be inspired? I think it's so by... important. So, so important. And it's... Uh, and, uh, 
yeah, I tell my sous chefs that all the time, and, and it's very hard to do that, both economically and well, just you're here, as a you're, time, right. you know. Mm. Um, we're working while everybody else is playing, so, you know, when do you get out to play? And, right. But on their days off, um, you know, we, we try to uh, even, um, can't do it for everybody, but we try to set aside even in our budget, like, money for the chefs to actually go explore. out and have like a, a dining allowance to explore at another restaurant. I'm oh, wow. trying to get each year I'm trying to figure out a way to get more and more money to get allocated out to like, towards right. that because I, I, I you know. Well don't chefs hook each other up a little bit or? They definitely do but I mean they can't right. comp every <laughs> single every, yeah, every, right. I had to comp every single chef that came into <laughs> Marta. <laughs> <laughs> but do you do you ever find yourself um, when you go to a restaurant or something that you're breaking down the food in your head instead of just enjoying it? Do you know what I mean? Like I said, with some as painters, sometimes we go there and we see the great painting or artwork, <coughs> artwork in general, yeah. and then you just go you in there and try to really. It. Well, how do you deconstruct well, this? Life thing? would really suck if I had, if I did that every time I tasted something good. You <laughs> yeah. know, I, like I need to enjoy it. But like you, there are certain times it happens. There are certain times where you taste something and you're like you're just so wowed and, and, and so maybe surprised. Like if you have something that like you've never had before and it's like, how, how did they achieve that crispiness on this thing? Or, um, and, and then that's when you start scratching, you know, yeah. noodle and trying to figure out what, what, <laughs> what happened. But I'd say 90% of the time, 95% of the time when I'm eating out, I'm just you're taking just it. In. I, it. I love, I love eating. And I think yeah. that's, that preceded my desire to, to, to cook. It was just, you know, I, was just a huge eater right all through high school it really seems college. that that's so important though yeah. as as the authenticity and the passion for what you do mm -hmm. and i see it in other disciplines is that people who um truly enjoy not only what they're doing but what others are doing in their same yeah. field how do you look at being a chef and being you know the idea of mastering something um, uh, it, it, you never master anything, mm -hmm. I don't think, and you know, I think the same is probably true in most yeah, artistic yeah. professions, yeah. right? If you say you've mastered something, then but it's a constant you're, pursuit. But it's you're a always it's like the concept of mastery, yeah. right? Like if you're, I mean, you probably made a million mm -hmm. plates of cacio e pepe, but it's still probably engaging because you're always searching for that perfect balance, like the sort of like life-altering plate of cacio e pepe. It's just like a few simple ingredients, but that balance. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> chefs also have very short attention spans, I think. It's, it's like <laughs> you get excited about getting good at something, and then you're like, okay, what else could I get good at? And maybe, you know, maybe that's a, a flaw that some chefs have, because I know that, like, for example, you are talking about Jiro just a second ago and, yeah. and the sushi thing. The, the, the Japanese way of approaching it is so different, like, because yeah. they, they'll literally not even be able to touch a piece of fish for like the first six years that they apprentice for a sushi they're chef. They're just doing like they're, rice. Yeah, they're, they're massaging the octopus or doing, you know, fanning the rice or whatever. <laughs> the discipline. You know, jobs. And you just have to do it over and over and over and over again until you're like so good at it that you can do it with your eyes closed. And I think for us here, I mean, it's not that we haven't repeated things. It's like I, I've cooked so many pastas by, you know, somebody else's creation so many times over and over again until I knew how to do that guy's pasta. Yeah before I started to make my own. Um, but then, you know, I opened up my Alino making my own pasta, and I'm like, okay, now I want to make pizza. It's like, <laughs> and then, I, want, I want to do something different. It's and like, then you yeah. have to go deep into researching, yeah. like, exactly. And you did a lot of research for A ton of research. Because I've never made pizza before. I didn't even make it recreationally at home. I've never once made a pizza before Had it really Marta jumped opened. out to you in Rome when you were there or <coughs> on your trips it, there? It, it did. I mean, 
Um, I'd be lying if I said that was the first thing about Roman food that caught my eye. Right. Um, obviously, it's the, it's the pasta that, that I, uh, was my first love. And then I guess after opening Maialino, I just kept saying to myself, what, what's next? It's like, you know, that, yeah. that's the, the impatience uh, creeping in and just like, what, 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 what else can we uh, um, share about what I love so much about Roman food? And then was my it tempting? Mind, was it tempting just to go to Neapolitan? Like, uh, every you know, you just no. I pizza. never, <laughs> I never once thought that. I like, and it just seemed like the the natural next step. It's, it's everybody is doing a Neapolitan right. version yeah, pizza a in lot New York. It. It's it's there's just so much of it, and so we don't need another one. Yeah. Right, you're yeah. the um, only one doing I think, yeah. like authentic Roman, <clears throat> as far as I know. Yeah. Um, so in that case, it was it like back to Rome? I figure oh, out. Yeah. That's what we did. <laughs> we booked flights. Um, I took a friend of mine who. Uh, Danny, pack our bags. We're going to Rome. <laughs> There's a, a great pizzeria in Jersey City called Razza. And uh, I give this guy a lot of credit, Dan Richer, who uh, um, I have known uh, through friends of friends. Um, and it just started to pick his brain a little bit. This is before we were deciding to open up Marta and just talking pizza with him. And he is the, the biggest pizza geek I've ever met. I mean, just in terms of breaking it down to the science of, you know, fermentation and hydration. And so as soon as I was, you know, getting ready for that Rome trip, I, I was like, we got to bring Dan with us. And so I was like, I basically asked him, I was like, will you help consult on this project with us? Um, because I needed somebody with expertise. I couldn't yeah. presume that I was going to be able to pick apart this pizza and recreate it in New York, having never made a single pizza in my life. Um, and you can read all you want, but there's no substitute for for hands-on experience. So he came with us, and, and um, it was myself, Joe Tarasco, the chef de cuisine, and, and Dan Richer, and the three of us just just ate god awful pounds of <laughs> Roman thin crust pizza. And can you taste? I mean, can you actually taste like ratios in the in the crust? Like, well, yeah. I mean, it, it, that's where Dan comes in. You know, it's like I wouldn't be able to right. figure it out, but he could because he's made so many pizzas and tested so often that's and knows amazing. about fermentation. So he's like. You know, and you could pick apart the flaws too. I mean, the, the the style of pizza that we're doing at Marta is not exactly as you have it in Rome. Um, right, like you I, mentioned to me, inspired. we're using like inspired, flowers yeah. all from around. So you're not here using like Caputo times. double yeah. zero flour or any of that. It's dangerous to say this, but I mean, uh, and arrogant, but like we wanted to improve upon. Yeah. Roman no, absolutely. Pizza. I, right. Because I mean, what, what they're what the kind of pizza that inspired us out there is quite frankly, it's like a it's like a New York City hot dog. It's like if somebody mm -hmm. from Rome came and said like I'm going to take a, a dirty water dog, and build a restaurant Make around that concept, bread. you know, because it's it's really it's like fast food sustenance for them. Um, it's not like a serious restaurant. You don't make a reservation at the pizzeria to take like you know, on an occasion or for a date, and, but people might do that. There is Marta. one that's got, there's always got a crowd there. There's one, like, kind of famous pizzeria. Well, there's plenty, there's plenty that are crowded, but I, right. it's, it's like you get online, you sit down, you get, you get shoved into, like, a tiny little <laughs> table, and your pizza comes out within minutes, uh, probably not completely properly cooked on the other side, <laughs> and you pay your, you know, your 10 euro check and you right. get out of there. It's, uh, it's, it's quick, it's easy, it's, it's delicious. Do they experiment um, as much with toppings there, or is that something that you're again, sort of taking same, on? Same, like you, I could take photos, and I probably I have some <laughs> of menus out there, and they're just like exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. Formatted differently, same content. Right. So, but yeah. you were doing that at at Marta. You were actually you're putting in new new. Yeah. Toppings. So we we have some classics, you know, like we'll do the margarita and the capricciosa, but then outside of the the the, the classics, we 
yeah, we were yeah. I mean, I had all a over the Carbonara and an Almatriziana, uh, yeah. and they were both amazing and very different. Like, not I don't mm -hmm. imagine that they've combined those or that you no, saw those combined. No, I did not see those in Romanes. And then, but we're going to be even more experimental now that you know we're getting comfortable with the format. I mean, it's just such an easy blank canvas. Like, we're going to be doing a. Um, a Reuben pizza. It's like, what's more New York than a Reuben, right? <laughs> so, it's, so we're gonna top it with like, you know, house pastrami, uh, some uh, sauerkraut, Swiss cheese, Russian dressing. <laughs> do you ever do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, Eureka, I got it. <laughs> like, you have like a dream about some, you know, some some ingredients going together and pairing it with. with the Usually happens slate. like on the shower or on the toilet or something. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's when the good ideas. Classy. <laughs> <laughs> While you're just one of those really late nights and you just had a couple a, a couple too many. Yeah, that happens too. Yeah, I'll write little notes to myself on the uh, yeah, yeah. iPhone. Yeah. So, so I was just hearing from Mandy that uh, Ferran, Ferran uh, Adria was in the in Marta. He was. That was that was an awesome night. Can what you explain like? who he, uh, who he is? Ferran Adria is. Yeah, sorry, um, I butchered his name. I mean, I think he's he's kind of like the godfather of molecular gastronomy mm -hmm. and probably one of the world's most renowned chefs, um, particularly for doing experimental mm -hmm. scientific food uh, uh, from El, El Bulli, which is closed. Right. Did you ever eat there? I never ate at El Bulli, I wish. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any chef can ever, you know, sort of doubt his prominence right. and, and his accolades there. Is he one of the first, or was that Hest, Heston Blumenthal? Uh, the first to do what, I mean, the, 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 the intricacy and the, and the level of um, just innovation, I think, is just so much yeah. more. Uh, El Bulli is, is the spot. Yeah. That's, that, it, but that's, yeah, that, that's in Spain. <coughs> Spain right? It's in Spain, yeah. In Spain, mm -hmm. yeah. I think there's a couple of documentaries on it, and he really is, it seems like a really interesting guy. Mm -hmm. Is that so, like the greatest honor that you could, I mean, to have chefs like that coming into your, your new restaurant? Oh, and, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I, I knew we would be busy and popular, but when you have stuff like that happen, yeah. it just like, boost your morale and your, your team yeah. so much more than, than seeing, you know, throngs of people just waiting outside because they saw something in timeout. And know? how does that compare to like regular critics? Like, to, I mean, you have other chefs come mm -hmm. in. Like I, I find, you know, for most of us, we're most interested in what other painters think of our paintings. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously it's great if they sell, it's great if they, you know, are reviewed in something, but getting like other painters feedback and having other painters be 100%. wowed is... Yeah. Or you're right. christened as a painter's painter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except that that's that's a uh, euphemism for you're not making any money. <laughs> I'm yeah. assuming in that situation you're just watching his face or like well, to see if you can. It's almost like being on a plane and watching the uh, stewardess make sure everything is, or the flight attendant. I'm sorry, uh, if to make sure everything is okay. That you're just like you like feel a bump a and you just. I always watch like, their face. If they look nervous, and I'm nervous. Yeah, he sat right in front of me. As a matter of fact, there there is a pizza counter at Marta. Beautiful uh, which marble I, counter. Yeah, the whole idea is I wanted there to be some sort of like interactive experience at the pizza counter. It's not just watching, but that you can actually talk to chefs and. And I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fun, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And so he sat right up at the pizza counter, and uh, I asked him if he wanted menus, and he's like, no, just just cook. He doesn't speak hardly any That's English perf at all. That's just perfect. Just cook, cook. <laughs> just cook whatever you want. Yeah. And so we started cooking for him. We, we gave him little samplings of things off the grill, um, slices of pizza, sort of like, you know, call, call it omakase pizza. You yeah. Know, just like <laughs> passing over things is 
uh, as, as we, whatever we thought was good that day. And, um, and then at a certain point, like I thought that he was, you know, he said small things. Like, so I, I took that to mean he did not super hungry, just wanted to sample some stuff. And so I told him as after like the third slice of pizza that I served him that, you know, I have one more course planned off the grill and then we'll call it. And then he said, uh, he said, no, I want more. He's like, he said, bring, <laughs> he said, bring awesome. a, bring a whole pizza. Cause I was giving him samplings and slices off of, off of pizza. So he didn't awesome. get too filled up. Did you squeal when pizza. he, you know, That's like, oh. really? <laughs> 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 yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty awesome. And then we, you know, had him come back after the, do you make him pay? <laughs> Him. That chef got comped. Drinks on the house. On the house. No, no, no. Ruin my party. Um, so I, I'm curious. Uh, what do you cook at home? Uh, I, right now, I don't cook at home. <laughs> well, you're yeah. never home, right? Yeah, I'm hardly ever home. Ramen noodles. Nice. <laughs> nice. Because um, you hear about about chefs who, um, you know, they 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 go really simple. In their in super their, simple in their oh, yeah. private or eat life. awful food on the way home, like yeah, stop off like, for like hot dogs food. at like a dirty water. Well, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> that's easy, and I, and yeah, <laughs> Big Mac is delicious. <laughs> um, but I, I love barbecuing, I love yeah. you know, I, I think I'm trying to think of like the last times I've actually cooked like a dinner, and, and it's always centered around outdoor cooking. I don't yeah. know what it is. I think chefs are really attracted to fire. Like an open fire. Like, is that yeah. an the grill station thing. at Marta? Exactly. It was so inspired by that. that. Even so many of the dishes that we have coming off that grill are inspired by just backyard barbecues. I did the, the beer brine chicken is something oh, that yeah, yeah. I did at my buddy's place up in Connecticut, and he had some canned beer lying around. It's like, let's brine some of this chicken and beer. And When uh, you go over people's house, are they ever like, hey, if you ever want to get in the kitchen? Or <laughs> you're like, no, I don't feel it's like I'm really fumbling, chopping. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when we're around, people are like, just draw a picture. I'm like, I don't feel like drawing it. Yeah. I do that all day long. <laughs> yeah, it happens. I mean, the holidays are the worst for that. I mean, Does your family, like, it. drag you into the <laughs> kitchen? Or? I th- my, my mom's a great cook, so right. if she's cooking, I, 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 it's awesome. I just stay out of her way or, or help her out. But is, is that the next for you, maybe a barbecue, some sort of authentic barbecue place? No, I, I, I got my barbecue fix at Marta. I think that's a, that's nice. a, I got a beautiful grill set up. Um, it's it's a custom built grill like i mean i couldn't ask for it. it's it's the the almost awesome like man toy it's, like, <laughs> it's it is it's amazing. amazing and then the the i had the trout salt and mocha which is amazing and i i guess that's not something that they that you're just putting two totally different things together because you've yeah. got this grill and so that that dish is a perfect example of of creative input from sous chef so there's a sous chef here at Mylino, john laval who's awesome great creative uh, uh chef and he invented that trout salt and boca idea and was doing it in a saute pan and i was like dude i love this dish so much but don't hate me i want to steal this idea for martha because you we're gonna have a wood burning grill and imagine how good that'll taste off of a wood burning grill like it just i was screaming for it you know? <laughs> and, and uh um but that's that's totally his creation and is genius like to lay that thin slice of prosciutto inside of a deboned fish and it just sort of like melts onto the flesh as it cooks. It is amazing. I mean, it's just, yeah. it looks like the fish is just a little pink inside. Yeah. Like you can't even make out that it's prosciutto. Yeah, people then, will send it back from time to time and say it's right. undercooked. And you're like, you uh, don't I, know I, what I, you're fish talking was about. Never pink. Get out of my <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you're not cooking, I heard you're, you surf. I, I do like to surf. I'm not a good surfer. I bodyboard much more than I surf because usually that's happening in Hawaii. I love going to Hawaii when I can get two weeks off, which is. Uh, rarely, if ever now, but I used to go almost every year in 
um, like January, February, in the middle of surf season, and the waves get. Really pretty gnarly big. during that <laughs> they get time. Big there. Um, and you're not I've, like pipeline. You're not going. To oh, pipe, I, I, you yeah. go to pipeline uh, on a on a bodyboard. Yeah. Wow. You wearing intense. a helmet? Uh, no a, helmet. But yeah. That has, that's a really shallow. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, um, all those breaks up breaks along that stretch bad. of the beach. I mean, it's all reef breaks. Yeah. Um, definitely. I love it there. though. And if you, if you're safe and you follow good etiquette in the water, you you know, it's. It's it's a it's a very fun sport. Do you yeah. get out around here at all, or I, I do. It's tough though. It's like the the best months are always the months where you need to wear a wetsuit. Oh, and yeah, I'm yeah. not big on wetsuits. Wear out like, like Montauk, going out to ditch yeah, or Montauk, something, or like uh, ditch away. Even just uh, you know, Long Beach, yeah. you can get on the train, and you know they ho- they hosted that surf competition and. Oh, right. September's ago. Pro surfers. Like, great yeah. waves. I yeah. was out there. I, I missed the whole thing because I was like, I'm taking my board out. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> um, Locals <but>. only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, September is the only month I, I try to take advantage because in September the water is yeah, warm, warm and you get like the hurricane season just starting and you get some decent waves. I uh, I mainly paint the ocean. I paint ocean waves. I know and your stuff is awesome. I oh, saw. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah. So I and I do a lot of mostly body surfing. I, I did a lot of boogie boarding when I was a kid. I uh-huh. was uh, I was a really tiny kid, so I could stand on the board. <laughs> Nice. So I used to stand. I used to win all the like local boogie boarding competitions because <laughs> you just, could stand up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were you, were, didn't you win like sunfish like I, sunfish award? Like where you would take? I the won sun like board. worst sunfish. <laughs> I, I, I got okay at windsurfing, but the sunfish. I was. I used to break the booms a lot. Yeah. Um, is there any parallel? Do you find any like connection or any dialogue between? Is surfing like pure recreation, or is that Zen something that you find in the kitchen as well? Or yeah, I mean. I can't, I can't say I'm creating dishes as I'm waiting for the next set to roll. Right, in, but like, right. But it's but more that like it is the that philosophy it's, of... Yeah, it's, it's, Zen is a perfect way to describe it. I mean, yeah. I, I just love being in the water. Whether there's waves or no waves, just like paddling out and just pretending like I'm going to catch a wave. Right, if there's nothing yeah. going on. <laughs> um, and is it the same thing in the kitchen? Yeah, like I mean... Just I mean, being there? I, I think channeling is part of that energy. I think, you know, chefs get a very bad reputation, but it's mostly true for being hot-headed and, and, you know, overly, you know, filled with testosterone and yelling and screaming. And, and that, that can tend to happen if, you're, if you don't sort right. of channel some sort of calm inner yeah. And you have to set energy. a tone in your kitchen. That, I mean, I found, like, I read a bunch of books about working in kitchens before I came in to Myelino, and uh, I was, like, prepared. I thought I was going to get, like, stabbed or something. <laughs> uh, you know, I was reading, like, Anthony Bourdain's books, and uh, then I get in there, and the environment was so, like, everybody was friendly, everybody was calm. I remember the level uh, at the time, the sous chef was uh, Chef Hoon, and I remember maybe once during lunch service, the level rose, like he sent one dish back, very like mildly, like this isn't, is over salted or something, but the pace, everything just kind of worked and it flowed and it didn't have that like manic craziness Mm -hmm. that I was, that I was worried that I was gonna encounter. And it sort of, it made me feel like it was more conducive to real creativity and, and again, to like finding that like Zen place where you're actually just loving what you do and, that idea to me is always so inspiring. The idea of cooking with love. Glad, glad you experienced that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when he was doing the when he was here at Mylino's, he would uh, call me at when he would get home and he would tell me about the day. And I was completely <laughs> living vicariously through Ted. Be like, what like, else did you do? And he's telling me he's telling me about how he was. Um, you were taught how to cut carrots. It was oh, carrots yeah. in like a perfect way. And I was I was 
I was jealous. I was sitting here being like, they taught you all that? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, ah, well, somebody I need to go cut, do this. Like do a few cuts and lay it on the side of the cutting board and then say, make them all look exactly like this. And you had to get them, you know, because oh. then it cooks evenly and yeah. then you get, you know. And I, I don't know, for some reason, I guess because we're all painters and we're so used to, you know, being in love with the craft of making paintings of painting things beautifully, that's something that, that speaks, I think, to all of us is like, you know, it's something as simple as cutting a potato and making all of the pieces exactly right. And it's something that I find I can get lost in. And I, I mean, I do like all of the cooking at home now because I, I just like, that's when I get, you know, out of the studio at the end of the day, I just, I, I can relax and kind of lose myself in the Zen of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because of the it. results, there's something to look forward to at the end. Oh yeah. And that would make you, like you were saying, you know, somebody leaving your restaurant with a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. like when you create something that tastes so good and you know you made it, it's like it, it, it makes everything that sort of um, slow, uh, methodical way of doing things. Um, for us, because we're not like trained chefs or anything. James is kind of trained. But, uh, but the idea of, um, <laughs> you know, makes it all worth it. Like it, it, it's worth doing that. I know in your kitchen, it has to be fast. Is there, I mean, I know Marta is fairly new, so you're really consumed by that, but is there something like out there that you, like some dream project, something that you sort of foresee someday, everything kind of building towards or? Some, I, I don't think everything's building towards any, any one particular thing. I mean. Not I, even a restaurant on, 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 a sur on a really nice break beach. That would be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> You'd get nothing done. <laughs> A that Roman would, shack on the side of Maui. That would be a huge dilemma for me. <laughs> huge. Um, Chef Nick didn't show up again. <laughs> um, yeah, I, there, I mean, there, there are so many things that I, I, I still would love to do. Um, you know, I, 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 there's uh, an element of, um, I think, casual and everything that, that um, we've done, both at Mylino Martin. I want to keep that casual nature about what we're doing but I also am interested in, in doing something that's that food wise just slightly more refined than what we've done at either place um, and uh, I mean the last thing I think the world needs is another tiny tasting room that's impossible to get a reservation at <laughs> but um, I want to do something like that that is a little bit more user friendly that you know mm -hmm. people don't have to be committed to a nine course or 20 course meal and you know you don't have any choices or options to eat what the chef is cooking it's like right. you know Put a put a few options out there for levels of tastings, and you know, or an a la carte option where you can pick and choose, and have it be uh, slightly more user friendly. But to have that experience of being able to put together and really concentrate on a, on a small plate, mm -hmm. I think people's attention spans in, in restaurants nowadays, especially in New York, it's short. Right. And you mm -hmm. want to capture them with a couple of small nice bites, and um, I think it's a fun way to eat. And, and Italian food hasn't I don't think been represented in that category very well yet yeah um, and uh, I think we could have fun doing something like that a being small, kind of smaller creative, style right you know we'll call it a passion project whatever but um, uh, yeah something that you can really start to focus on on the minutia of a, of a dish well I'll tell you what when you get that up and going I know I'll be there <laughs> I've been here to Mylino's and it's one of my favorite Italian restaurants in the city it's amazing so, in a uh, very crowded field. In a very, very crowded <laughs> but field. But you definitely stand apart. So we'll be waiting for that. But otherwise, um, I would definitely recommend 
as many people coming going to your re- uh, those restaurants because they are fantastic. Yeah, Mylena and Marta both and in Manhattan, Manhattan, and if you're not from here, you should make a reservation when you come into town <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in advance because it can get difficult. And uh, yeah, they're, they're I mean again in a crowded field, such amazing standouts and which is really difficult to do. Yeah, and uh, I want to thank James Connolly, good buddy of ours, for That's coming and. And uh, uh, adding in, and, and of course, Jay Brawl. Jay Brawl. You know, I was here, I ate uh, w- one night for my wife's birthday, we came. Her birthday is the day after Christmas. It's always very hard to find a babysitter, but we ate here, and it was the year that there was that huge snowstorm that, like, the buses just got stopped in the middle yeah. of the road, everything yeah. Yeah. stopped. But there was, you have these big windows overlooking Gramercy Park, and uh, there's something I've never seen before, but the, I mean, the ground was covered with snow, but there was a lightning storm. Mm. And so there were these flashes, and I've never seen that on, you know, on a snowy landscape. It was an amazing, and with those big windows, it was the most beautiful view. It was the most incredible night. I mean, the <laughs> dinner was incredible, and then the, the, like, the scenery, it was just like, obviously something you could never plan, but it was amazing. No, we, we planned that. Right, yeah. <laughs> so thank us. you. You they made me actually, look good. They were actually Transformers <laughs> blowing, blowing out. Nick was there. Ketchup, <laughs> ketchup Pepe, check, Barolo, check, lightning storm. Got it. Right. Got it. Lightning snowstorm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so hey, Nick, much. thanks so and much. And also, for, uh, thank for you, absolutely. Mandy Roberts, for, uh, for arranging yes. all this. Thank yeah. you, Mandy. Yeah. And look forward to coming here soon again. All right, yeah. guys. Thanks right, a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, that was awesome. That was rad. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was super so fun. So hungry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I so you guys want to get something to eat? I could probably whip up a couple bowls of pasta. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. They yes, might. Let me just course. check. Ramp. 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 Ramping up. Ramp. Dude, you got to get ramped. Ramp.